This episode is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? You know you do. And that is The Jordan Harbinger Show, a top-notch podcast named Best of Apple in 2018, and has only gotten better. Jordan goes deep with fascinating people, from authors and scientists to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. During his discussions, Jordan pulls out tactical bits of wisdom for you to use to become a more informed, critical thinker. You'll learn and have a good time. He's very easy to listen to. My two recent favorites are Episode 972, Mustafa Suleiman, The Coming Wave of Artificial Intelligence, and Episode 843, Ellie Honig, How the Rich Get Away with Crime. You can't go wrong adding The Jordan Harbinger Show to your rotation. It's incredibly interesting. There's never a dull show. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, do you need more me in your life? Well, I'm teaming up with Moment to bring you a special live event, The Miracle of Dunkirk. For details, go to www.moment.co slash the history of WWII. Hello, and thank you for listening to the History of World War II podcast, Episode 406, Operation Pedestal, One Hell of a Morning. Last time, as various Allied hit-and-run raids sprung from Malta to hopefully defuse the attacks on pedestal, it will be remembered that one group of island-based aircraft spotted a part of Admiral Dazara's fleet during the late afternoon of August 11th, leaving Cagliari. Now, no one will ever know if Dazara became aware of this, but either way, he continued on, as he was to meet up with several other formations. The plan was to have three 8-inch cruisers, three 6-inch cruisers, and 11 destroyers challenge Pedestal once it was through the Narrows, which meant once its larger escorts had been turned away. Rome felt that this force, if handled properly, should be enough to completely wipe out what was left of the convoy. Indeed, this had all been planned out, and the various parts were on their way to meet up. The one question that remained was, who should provide air cover for Dazara on the 13th, as from that day on, clashes with the enemy were probable. Now, there were plenty of squadrons on Sicily, as they had been taking the war to Malta, so picking a unit or two should have been no big deal. Somehow, though, it became a big deal. When the sun rose on August 12th, Pedestal neared the patch of water in between Algeria and Sardinia. As the route went, the ships were only 50 miles or 80 kilometers north of Annaba, located in the northwest corner of Algeria, formerly known as Bone. Long ago, the port city had been established by the Romans, who gave it the name Bone because someone must have seen a hippo, and the local word for the animal was Ubo, hence Bone. Now, yes, for the convoy, this was a little close for comfort. However, even worse was the sheer number of planes to the north, based on Sardinia. 
this could truly turn out to be the equivalent of shooting fish in a barrel, provided the fish could shoot back. In other words, Italy, along with German help, could throw much at pedestal this day. The question was, what would the convoy look like by the time the sun went down? August 12th was a glorious, perfectly clear day, which would benefit the attacker and the defender, just at different times. So early that morning, Axis reconnaissance planes were flying overhead. But due to their speed, not to mention the head start they had, the fighters from the two remaining carriers could not catch up to these spying planes. Hence, they reported what they saw, and a little later that morning, numerous planes, JU-88s, Kant Z-1007s, were showing up on the RDF, Range and Direction Finding, or radar, as we call it today. To counter this, the two carriers, starting at 6.30 a.m., had two planes each patrolling, but soon that number was raised to 12, with all the other planes on standby. It was going to be a busy day. It already was for the radar crews. As the day went along, a contact would be made, planes would be scrambled to intercept, only, most times, the offending plane would get away or at least far enough away where it was dangerous to follow it. And maybe that had been the plan. But for this day, the radar screen would never stay empty. The ASDIC crews were just as busy. Reports had already come in, even before breakfast, saying that a sizable wolf pack was in the area, hanging around the Galite Islands, just off the north coast of Algeria. In response, the destroyer screen was pulled in closer. So when the attack came, and it would come, the defenders should be able to make the price of any successful attack expensive for the access, in terms of lives and material lost. Speaking of successful attacks, the sub-UR-6 and U-205 were still trailing the convoy, and on this day, they were joined by U-73. As the day went on, each sub would take a turn to rise to the surface, report in on Pedestal's latest location and direction, and then submerge again. That way, Rome could continue to accurately direct its planes, ships, and subs at the enemy, while the messengers, the three subs to the rear, could remain safe to do their job. Hey everyone, Ray here. I've been using Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today. And like many of you, I think about my golden years, and I hope they're golden. I have a Roth IRA with Fidelity and another with Merrill, and I have consolidated them into one hub with Yahoo Finance. There, I have access to expert analysis to help me stay atop this ever-changing world. And with Yahoo Finance at my fingertips, I can focus on my goals of paying off my house and getting ready for, you know, me time. And since Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, they know what they're doing. It's the number one finance destination, with their independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. So, for comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. 
for all of the convoy's fear of subs, and they were correct to be worried. The first enemy of the day came from the skies, not the water. At 9.07 a.m., a large formation was picked up on RDF, or radar. Coming right at them were 19 Ju-88 bombers, which had taken off from Sicily, the moment they had gotten the updated report from the subs following the convoy. Everyone connected to the two carriers knew that the planes already airborne could achieve the necessary height to challenge the bombers. As for the fighters now taking off of victorious and indomitable, would they achieve the same thing? That depended on the circumstances. As things stood, the defending Sea Hurricanes, Fulmars, and Martlets were on their way, and 16 of them, chosen by fate, would make contact with the bombers. To be honest, the planes just mentioned didn't have the speed, climbing ability, nor firepower, in terms of cannon, to really get up there and dominate the fight. But like most in a tough spot, the pilots did the best they could with what they had. As the Allied planes flew into the formation of bombers, chaos ensued. Some bombers, not many, but a few, dropped their bombs, hoping this would mean that the fighters would leave them alone. In truth, they were bumped down on the list of priorities, as bombs were the big fear. But if a defending pilot had nothing else to shoot at, and the bomber was getting away even though it was empty, chase would be given. After all, that pilot might return tomorrow, and on that day, might not prematurely drop his bombs. One pilot, Rodney Harold Power Carver, a lieutenant, commander of 885 squadrons, claimed two certain kills and would later be awarded the DSC, or Distinguished Service Cross. Another pilot from the Victorious was Sub-Lieutenant Hankey. He and Carver did not have enough time to get the height needed to try to deflect the approaching Junkers. But as some of them started turning away, this gave Carver and Hankey another opportunity. As we have seen, Carver would do well from this with two kills. However, Hankey never returned to his carrier. Hankey had previously been on the carrier Eagle, but just happened to be in the air when she was sunk by sub-U-73. Fortunate indeed, but here, Hankey's luck ran out. The surviving Junkers, the majority of them, made it through this greeting in the skies and continued on to the convoy. Right away, as targets had already been selected, the various planes went in for shallow dive-bombing attacks. They all came out of the sun relative to their target, so the convoy, in its entirety, turned up their guns and let loose. Some focused more on shooting than aiming, but to be sure, the German pilots took notice. By the time the Junkers were leaving, at least two of their number would not be joining them home. The destroyer Pathfinder took out an approaching plane with its pom-pom, and the merchant ship Deucalion got another with its 4.7-inch guns. It must be said that the man in charge of Deucalion's guns was a Captain Brown, an army officer. He had been assigned to Malta and was determined to get there. Hence, the guns under his command were firing just as fast as they could. Either way, six of these Ju-88s that had reached the convoy would not make it back home. 
even worse for the Germans, by the time it was all over, besides the loss of Hanky and some frayed nerves, no ship of the convoy was damaged, nor were any of their escorts. It was a miracle. But how many miracles could one convoy expect, or even pray for? They were about to find out. As the Allied pilots landed on one of the two carriers, the pilots jumped out, claiming kill after kill. In truth, they were overestimating their impact. But the point is, no ships had been damaged, and the enemy had lost several planes in the process. It was a good headspace for these pilots to be in, and they would need that swagger for later. Not long after many of the pilots had landed, someone had been doing some thinking in terms of air combat, and so set a trap for an unlucky Italian plane. As the bulk of the defending fighters were landing, two Fulmars of 884 Squadron, again a relatively slow plane, had been sent up, almost as high as they could go. Further, they were told to stay in the sun relative to their carrier. So when a Savoia Machetti SM-79 medium bomber tried to slip into the airspace of the convoy, these two Fulmars pounced. The 79, though beloved by the Italian crews, they called it a damned hunchback. It was easy to recognize as the fuselage had a distinctive dorsal hump. Normally flown with a crew of five, the two pilots faced forward, but there was a gunner behind them, higher up, facing to the rear, with a Breda Safat machine gun, and there were five guns in all. Anyway, the British flight officers had been watching and realized that the Germans would normally come in to attack, while the Italians focused more on gathering intelligence and picking off stragglers. But it was that more passive approach that gave someone the idea of hiding a few Fulmars in the sun. So back to the present. As the Savoia crept closer, the two Fulmars, again not fast planes, dove down. They came in hot and guns blazing. In seconds, the Italian bomber was going down. Another to add to the tally. And this happened a second time that day. Well, almost. At 9.40 a.m., the RDF system, far from perfect, picked up another enemy plane just on the horizon. Two more full Mars were ordered to approach from the sun and splash the intruder. But perhaps because of what had happened to the first Savoya, this pilot was more jumpy. Even before the Fulmars reached him, the bomber maxed speed and headed for home. The two Fulmars gave chase, but the rear-facing guns of that plane damaged both of them to the point that they had to turn away for fear of not making it back home. This spy in the sky got away. What Admirals Seifert and Burrow did not know, they could not know, was that Rome had a massive attack planned for noon. At this moment, though still in the morning, they were gathering their forces. The idea was to launch almost every plane on Sardinia to wipe out the convoy once and for all. But as this was being organized, there were other, closer threats to pedestal. First, some of the Axis planes hanging around the convoy would come in closer when they found a perceived opening, but right away a destroyer, often more than one, would light up the sky around the intruder. The puff-puff of black smoke 
signifying death, would appear, and the planes would back off, but still close enough to report in any changes in direction. Second, the threat from below was still very much alive. Earlier that morning, the destroyer Kenya, at 7.41 a.m., spotted two torpedo tracks coming from port to starboard, or left to right. These had passed by at a distance of two cables ahead of her. As the term cable length varies, let's say 360 meters or four U.S. football fields. That may sound like a lot, but when you watch something go by that can kill you and sink the ship, it feels a lot closer. Either way, as the Kenya altered course, upon seeing these two torpedo tracks, they spotted a third torpedo that passed by on their port side, only one cable length away. Again, some 180 meters or two football fields. Another close call, and obviously a planned attack, that was hoping the destroyer would turn in to one of these torpedoes. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As the morning wore on, more and more Aztec contacts were made, with the convoy now well rehearsed, acting as one, dodging all the threats coming at them on the water's surface. As the Army and Navy of any and all countries can't stand each other, seeing the other as less than themselves, they do agree on one thing. Having a point man or point ship at the front, searching out the enemy, but also giving the enemy something to shoot at while they wait for the main body was a smart move. Unless, of course, you were the one that was set at point. This morning, it was the destroyer La Foray's turn to be at point. At 9.20 a.m., she picked up a contact. Right away, the La Foray went after the threat with an intense depth charge attack. The sub, realizing the game was up, dove and went under the convoy there being nothing to lose now, as the enemy knew they were there. Twelve minutes later, the sub was picked up by the destroyer Fury, led by Lieutenant Commander C.H. Campbell, just off its starboard wing. Joined by the destroyer Foresight, these two ships followed around the contact and dropped numerous depth charges. As this growing attack shattered life below the waves with its explosions, an almost, though not innocent victim of it, was the Italian sub Bren. Some of the explosions went off near her, though she wasn't the one they were looking for. So its captain, Andreotti, dove and dove again, eventually getting away. But like all that flak flying in the air during a dogfight, living things below the waves during a depth charge attack allows chance to have its turn. Captain Reginald Maurice Hutton of the Laferay ordered the destroyers back into position. As satisfying as it would have been to finish off Andreotti's sub, their main job was to stay with the fleet and keep the subs away. Sinking them would just have been a bonus, and there was no time for that now. Still that same morning, at 9.22 a.m., the destroyers Ledbury and Bicester 
were ordered to relocate, per Captain Hutton. Given the scare they had just faced, he wanted these two destroyers to sail just behind his point ship, so if any more submarines were detected, the Ledbury and Bicester could go after them, while the Laferay stayed at station, a classic example of division of labor. Yet the destroyers were not the only threat to the subs. They also, when they could, needed to keep an eye on the sky when surfaced. The two carriers had Abelcor patrols up in the air constantly, as did Malta, as did Gibraltar, anything to get an edge in this life-or-death game. At 9.30 a.m., the flying boat, a Sunderland TK-7R from Gibraltar, made contact with the Italian sub Giara, led by Captain Cavallina. As the sub was some 70 miles northwest of Algeria, clearly her job was to intercept the convoy. Four minutes later, the Sunderland dove down and dropped two depth charges. Both exploded close to the sub. Too close. Cavallina reported that all their controls were unresponsive and seepage was taking place throughout the boat. Despite this, knowing that the enemy would attack again, the captain had his vessel dive, mostly through manual actions, to 140 meters. The sub somehow got away, but the day wasn't over just yet. With the overhead threat gone, Cavallina ordered his men to repair what could be repaired while underwater. Then, with that done, he surfaced, and more repairs got underway. But clearly, they needed to head to the closest friendly base, that being Valencia, on Spain's east coast. As only so much could be done while the submarine was in operation, the captain chose to stay on the surface, safer that way. But what? With the two carriers, Malta and Gibraltar, having scout planes and fighters all over the place, it was only a matter of time before Cavallina's sub, Bren, was spotted again. At 1.45 p.m., the Gibraltar-based Sunderland TK-7C made contact. Cavallina knew he could not submerge. He and his might not ever rise again. No, there was only one thing for it. They would have to fight it out. Here and now. The Sunderland came down and attacked the sub with four sticks of explosives. The resulting explosion came very close to the already damaged sub, which was shook all anew. Cavallina was about to find out if his gamble would pay off. He could not stop the plane from diving down on him, but once it was passed, then it was his turn. As the plane rose and began to turn, the crew came out and manned their relatively weak gun and started firing at the plane. At 1.45 p.m., as the plane was in mid-turn, she radioed in about the sub, her attack, and their coordinates. Further, that the plane's crew had seen two Italian sailors fall off the sub as they climbed out of the hull. Somehow, some way, the Italians manning the gun did it. The Sunderland was hit over and over. Soon, she was out of control. When she hit the water, there was a massive explosion. The Italians stood there, shocked, and only after a few seconds erupted in cheers. With the immediate threat gone, the Bren got back to crawling towards Valencia to effect repairs. 
Yes, history demonstrates quite regularly that she favors the bold, along with fortune. Just before this drama played out that involved the Bryn and the Sunderland, at 11.35 a.m., U-205, led by Captain Lieutenant Franz George Recht, approached the convoy from the port bow. But the Aztec of the Pathfinder, led by Commander E.A. Gibbs, pinged her. Wasting no time, Gibbs started an aggressive and intense depth charge attack. Within minutes of this, Recht had decided to pull away. Clearly, they had been discovered, and no prize was worth this hell. As Captain Hutton had put two destroyers close to him while he was still in the front with his Aztec, should contact be made, Commander Gibbs had done the same thing. Coming in fast was the destroyer Zetlin, commanded by Lieutenant J.V. Wilkinson. Together, both destroyers pummeled U-205 for the next 15 minutes, which probably seemed a lot longer to Wrecked and his crew. U-205, though damaged, would slink away after such a positive start. Thus, Pedestal had one less U-boat to worry about, for now, just as the Axis forces had one less Sunderland to deal with. As for the convoy and its escorts, another big test was just around the corner. Much of the action described took place during the first half of the day. It was just after noon that the first big wave of bombers and fighters were approaching Pedestal. This was to be an Italian affair, and as such, the bombers coming in in several large formations would be heavily defended by fighters. And they had a plan, a very good plan. Postscript, trivia time. The cable length, though it varies, became an established term in the age of sail, describing the length of a ship's anchor. And as I get to see more planes and ships in my travels, I want to better explain the issue with the Spitfires on the HMS Furious, bound for Malta. When the Furious was ready to head out, loaded down with the Spitfires, they found that the low-thrust, obsolete de Havilland propellers, just wouldn't cut it. There was a test takeoff, and the pilot, experienced as he was, almost went into the sea. Something had to change. So smaller hydromatic air screws that generated more thrust were put on, but only after a search went throughout the lands, and that is not an exaggeration. No one or no thing could be allowed to delay pedestal, not unless you wanted an unpleasant conversation with Churchill, which he would be doing most of the talking, if not screaming. A single Spitfire got the new air screw, it was tested, found successful, and only then could the Furious depart to catch up to the convoy. Meanwhile, en route, all the other Spitfires below got the upgrade. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.